0: The Deviation Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and as usual, I'm very excited to say that Tony Blower is here with us today. Um, if you haven't heard of him, uh, just like Rudy, I would just say Google him, and you'll see a whole lot of really good stuff. Um, but anyways, Tony Blower is the founder and CEO of Blower Tactical Systems, which is one of the world's leading consulting firms specializing in research and development of combative training and equipment for the military, law enforcement and self-defense communities. He's pioneered research and training methodologies that have influenced and inspired defensive tactics, combative and martial arts instructors around the world since 1977. Um, For over three decades, Tony has worked around the world training tier one military and law enforcement groups at the federal and local levels. And Tony developed the Spear system. He's been on the covers of numerous magazines, including Black Belt Magazine. He's a father, a husband, and he's been an entrepreneur since age seventeen. So um now you know I'm excited. Anyways, thank you for being here, Tony.
0: Hey Paige, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, I'm excited. How about right. you?
0: It sounds like it maybe I'll interview you.
1: <laughs> well I'm just I mean this came about so I guess serendipitously. I'm just so glad you reached out because, I mean, as I told you, as soon as you reached out, I told my boyfriend about it, and he was—he may have been slightly more excited than I am, which is, which is obviously kind of hard to do.
0: It's, and and that's that's funny and brings really a smile to my face. And you know, I saw, uh, you know, I'm I'm friends with Rudy, and I saw that he was on the podcast, and I was like. Like who are these guys? and I went to your I went to your page and and of course, I've got a you know a special place in in everything I do for any first responder military law enforcement and firefighter everybody. and just saw like like that was a big thing on your page um and uh so I just reached out and and we started talking so no i i love I love connecting I love doing stuff, and if we can inspire one person or ten people or a hundred people then that we should do that everyone should always
1: oh, be doing that definitely i'm with you 110 percent on that um so so where did this all begin i mean how is it that you've become who you are today with this as you've just shown me this gorgeous backyard that that you have from uh, you know beginning entrepreneurship at age 17 like where did it all begin
0: you know the uh it it's funny cuz i posted uh, i don't know if you had a chance I, I posted an old memory uh from 1973 on my instagram and shared a couple of stories where when when i was 12 i was leaving at a softball game at the elementary school that that i went to i used to live up in canada and i was walking alone back there and in, in these Bigger, much bigger kids than me kind of were walking by and as I was leaving the parking lot, they kind of turned in and came over and started talking to me and I'm like, you know, like whistling to myself, gonna, you know, gonna walk home. And they said, hey, are you going to a high school? And there was a, a, a Western Laval High School it was about 500 yards up the street. And I said, yeah, and pointed over, I'm going to Western Laval there. And as I pointed and looked away, they jumped me. And one of them, like, they spun me and he, like, locked my arms behind my back and kid, this other kid, he points at my face and he's got this crazy look in his face and he kind of goes to do those things, bolo punches and I'm thinking, this is going to... Can I swear on your show?
1: Oh, yeah. okay to swear?
0: Yeah. Okay, good. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking, holy fuck, this is going to kill. I'm 12 years old and these guys are, like, 14 or 15. And the, the size oh, difference gosh. for me. and But I've got my... As you can picture this, the one kid's behind me and he's got my arm strapped behind my back. So I'm like totally contracted and off balance but I was like, a, uh, you know, I've been wrestling for years. I've played multiple sports. I was in really good shape for 12. So my body was completely contracted. I'd never done anything fighting, no, no martial arts. And back then you didn't think of wrestling. Like wrestling now is considered the ultimate foundation for MMA, right? So, but back oh, right. then and in 1972, you're not thinking like wrestling is just a sport. Anyways, this punch comes in, and in anticipation of like me dying because I'm 12, thinking this is gonna hurt, I scream just before I like ah, <laughs> and I my scream so hard that even my my stomach was already contracted because of the fight and the resistance and me trying to escape. Anyways, my my point being is I didn't even feel the punch like it hit me. And I didn't yeah. feel a fucking thing, but I screamed so hard and so loud that the kid thought he hurt me. The timing was just perfect; it was almost like that, like a movie, right? And so I noticed his reaction. I noticed a change in his body language, a look of fear in his face. And this is fascinating because the system that I that I built and reverse engineered all these years later, part of part of what we do is understanding behavioral manipulation. How to how to manipulate the psychology of an attacker, how to devalue yourself, how to use, uh, fear and body language to, uh, as a Trojan horse metaphor to set up a counterattack. And, and this is, you know, obviously, you know, that's not what we're, that we're teaching military and law enforcement, but I have a whole other program called Beer and Bodyguard that we work with citizens with. But, but what gets me so excited and so fired up is here I was at 12 years old and, and decades later, Was able to put this together and go, I know this will work. You know how I know it'll work? Because it works and it worked. And what happened was Mm -hmm. when he, when I saw the look of fear in his face, I screamed again as if my ribs were broken and maybe my lung was punctured. Like I started going, Oh, and I'm like, like, and they both dropped me and ran like, like hoping not to get caught. And as soon as they were turned the corner, I, stood up right away. I fixed my shirt and said, assholes, and started walking home. Uh, and and I never, I didn't think anything of it except when I got home, I said to my dad, hey, I just got jumped. And he's like, what? Are you okay? I said, yeah. I said, like, these two kids beat me up. I didn't even know. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what happened. And I said, look, what do I do about that? Because what they did say is just, I forgot to include this in the story, just before the guy punched me, he's holding me. I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, welcome to high school, and that's when he threw this uppercut to my body, right? So, so it was like in my mind, I said, to my dad, like, I'm going to get beaten up when I go to high school. I know it because oh, I got course. beaten up, right? And so right. He, he said, to, he said to me, you need to learn some martial arts. And it was uh, 1970. It was term, becoming 1973. That this happening in like 72. It was like right 73. It was right around the corner. And Bruce Lee had just passed away. And, uh, I think he, he was in July, so I might be screwing this up by six months. I'm 58, so my mind's going a little bit. But it was around that time, and, and he, and so, uh, um I signed up, there was only one martial arts school anywhere near me, it was a taekwondo school, and I signed up, and as soon as I started doing it, there was just, you know, I'm sure you've done something in your life, that as soon as you start doing it, you go, oh my god, like, this so resonates with me. And, oh definitely, and, yeah, and so for me that was that was martial arts, and I trained seven days a week uh and you know i worked, before i would before I would go to the bathroom in the morning I'd, i had a when it was called a makiwara. it's like a striking thing to tough in your hands your knuckles. I had one under my bed, I'd wake up for school, I'd slide it out, I'd pound the shit out of it, I had a, like a certain rep scheme, I'd then roll out of bed, i'd do push ups and sit ups. And I would, you know, shadow box on the way to the bathroom and I was so in love with it. Um, when I was 15, si- go ahead. Oh, what,
1: what, what was it about it? What was it about martial arts that just like sparked something for you?
0: So I grew up in the sixties and I, I was, it was a weird dichotomy. Um, I was afraid of my shadow without being afraid of my shadow. And what I mean by that is I I was afraid of everything, but I did everything. And so I was you know, I skied, I wrestled, I did gymnastics, but any time I would do something, I was worried about what if it didn't work out? What if I got hurt? What if this happened? So like literally like I'd be seven years old walk like walking around a corner going, like, what if there's somebody there that attacks me? And then I'd but I'd still walk around the corner. And you know, some people go, no, you just had like, like this, like instinctual situational awareness, right? But it it wasn't, it wasn't a good feeling. It was I had this, this kind of love hate relationship with it, but I I associated it with fear, and I hated it. I really I fucking hated fear. In fact, I got a T shirt now called Fuck Fear, and I did a whole seminar built built around it called No Fear, but it's spelled K N O W. Uh, and because that became my life's work is how do I understand the neural circuitry of fear? Because the biology and the physiology of fear, are one thing that you, you can modulate a little bit through good training, good stress inoculation training. But what you can't control is the unsolicited thought that pops in your head that says, Oh fuck, that guy's going to kill me or mm-hmm. I'm not ready for this. Or, you know, where did that come from? And then like this movie starts playing in your brain. We all, Need to learn how to control that, right? And so, when you understand, you know what I call the no fear metaphor. It's like suddenly remembering you've got the remote control to the movie in your mind, and and mm, you can switch the channel like or pause shit. Yeah, it's cool, right? And so, I, like I and I say that I hope that didn't sound a doctor saying it was cool. My life's no. work and mission has been trying to find a way to make people more effective make them more happy make them more, and i realized that all of this for lack of a better term uh uh like self actualization how to become the best version of yourself and all all that you know what sounds all psycho babble and 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 foo foo for some people and everything at the end of the day that's that's everything we do if you're an athlete you're always trying to get better you're always trying to PR you know, if you're at the range shooting, you're always trying to get better. If you're in business, you're always trying to be more profitable, more effective, more successful. But fear throttles everything we do. Everything we do, fear throttles and influences who we talk to. Therefore, who do we who we marry, right? It it influences how much money you make. It influences how much weight you lift, right? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. There's a certain there's a certain weight on a deadlift or a snatch or a certain movement. Where if I add more weight to it, your brain starts to go, yeah, I can't lift that weight. Even though you don't know that, you've decided before the lift that maybe that's the one that's going to throw your back out, or if you drop the weight on you, that's the one that's going to injure you. So we have these, you know, we could be in the bar and I could go, you know, uh, Paige, go talk to that guy there, pretend you weren't in a relationship now. And you, you look about your brain in a nano moment goes, no, I'm going to get rejected or maybe I've got a chance. But it's it's visualizing this future event that hasn't even happened that influences what you're doing in the present, right? And a lot of people visualize negative shit. It's why we hesitate, you know, open this business, break up with this person, ask this person to marry you, defend yourself, right? Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale, most of them cooperate with bad guys, right, because... You know they're afraid to lose. They're afraid to fight back. They think we're in the bag. Like most bad guys, and I'm talking about like a, like a, like a, like, a, like opportunistic predator, predatorial attack. will mm-hmm. say things like this: "You better cooperate with me, or I'm gonna fucking hurt you." And then and then people cooperate. And I'm not and listen. Everybody listening to this, I'm not suggesting that we should be cavalier about bad guys, armed or unarmed and shit like that. What I'm just talking about is right now I'm specifically talking about the movie that starts playing in our mind. You
1: know, so I wanna this, I wanna go back to your childhood, but before we do that I do have a yep. question though, because this is this is going into like your the thing you talk about about psychology of intimidation, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah. And then that's no that's a huge one. That's, well the psychology of intimidation is, is one of the big kind of uh, uh, light bulb moment, epiphanies in the class, if you will, where, you know, I can't see anyone's hands here because this is audio, but if I asked all your listeners how many of you have ever been intimidated in your life, everybody's going to put their hand up. Oh, and of course. really, really, when you think about it in a literal sense, intimidation is stuff we do to ourselves. Intimidation is is the... Mindset and belief that we're not going to be effective or successful, uh, we're gonna choke, we're gonna hesitate, we're, we're, we're about to go perform through this negative filter because we're intimidated, but it's something you do to yourself, right? So the mindset here, so I, I, you know, I wrote this expression in in the late 80s and it's it's a staple in all our courses with, with respect to self-defense. The actual quote is when you're visualizing what your opponent can do to you instead of what you must do to your opponent. Mm -hmm. And it's that simple. So bad guy comes up to you and says, you know, uh, you better cooperate with me or I'm going to fucking, you know, beat you. And you say to yourself, oh, he's going to beat me. He must be the predator. I must be the prey. Okay, I'm just going to cooperate. But I'm visualizing what the bad guy's going to do to me instead of what I must do to the bad guy to escape, to fight back, and so on and so forth. And, again, folks, not – there are there are lots of times in a confrontation where you just don't do shit, but but you you need to trust your instincts and intuition uh, with that. And I'm not going to like kind of give you know like like you know trying to get medical advice from Twitter, right? Like I'm not going to give people advice. Right um, but anyways, yeah. yeah,
1: but you're make, I'm, but I'm, you're I'm, making a really good point, and I also feel like it stems into other things like like you're briefly talking about before. You know, if you're if you're an athlete about to Run a race. You don't want to visualize everybody else around you, you know, leaving you in the dust. You want to visualize the opposite. So why not just apply right. that to all aspects of your life? Visualize yourself well, well, doing well.
0: Yeah, and that and that's the big thing. Is so about two years ago, I wrote and produced a, uh, um, uh, a Vimeo, keynote, um, so that I could kind of present it or give access to it to everybody in the world it's called the no fear seminar and 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 that was kind of like a, a shameless plug for it but what i realized was in my studying of violence for and i abhor violence i'm not at all macho about it um but because i abhor it i study it because i want to understand it because i don't want to be in a situation where something happens and i go i don't know what to do here and um and when I realized that the system that I studied worked for other people, uh because of my passion, like you know, I started teaching professionally when I was seventeen, nineteen seventy seven and I and I've been now teaching for like over four decades straight without stopping. And so the uh what I realized throughout all of it in working with military, working with law enforcement, working with, with MMA, boxers, martial artists, self defense practitioners, that the, the moment of truth, like game day for whether it was a sport contest, whether it was a pro fight, whether it was a raid, whether it was a, it all came down to everyone's ability to manage themselves and their skill set. And that was a fancy way of saying manage their self-talk. And that, that uh, ties into the neural circuitry of fear. In other words, um, you know, a, a, a cop who's hesitating to draw his weapon. Where there's a like, it's like this is a credible threat, this is a deadly force encounter. There are lots of, and this happens in military and in, in cops and the view where they can't access their training because they're overwhelmed by the sudden psychological reality of what's about to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so, we try to do realistic training. When I say we, I mean, the, the, all the industries try to do realistic training, but the wild card. With all the training you do is you just never know how somebody's going to perform on game day. And anyone who wants to argue with that is just being a contrarian. I mean, the facts, the statistics are the same. I and mean, you could see it in body cam, helmet cam, CCTV. Like most people don't move like they were trained when the shit really hits the fan. And so what, what, what I did is when, when people ask me as, you know, after four decades in the industry, I, I, I get to talk and consult and, And do some really cool shit with with you know i'm like i always make the joke i'm like the coach outside the ring and you're inside the ring like i'm just a consultant giving you ideas in between rounds and um but and therein in that metaphor is you still got to go in there like on game day you're not going to be a different athlete on game day everything is mental right Uh, you can't you can't change anything so i very quickly years ago realized that everything is fear and this notion. I make this joke out of loving and respect for the No Fear, uh, Adrenaline company. I don't know if you remember No Fear and No Fear mm-hmm. they had cool logo, cool you know Adrenaline motocross company and, and extreme sports. And I remember when they first broke out into the scene. I think it was in the eighties. I bought every one of their T-shirts, and I make this joke when I do my presentations. I go like, I was so afraid of fear that I bought all the No Fear shir- shirts, and all of my printing was defective because I still had fear. Like the number one fear in the world is public speaking. I'd be up on stage going, I'm still scared shitless to talk to you even though I'm wearing this shirt and everyone would laugh. Um, and then, and then a couple of years later, uh, I, I was talking about fear in, in one of our classes and on the whiteboard I, was, I wrote down no fear and one of my students, um, made some uh, question or comment. We started talking about it and then suddenly we realized, and suddenly we, we, we realized that, uh, um the If I put a k and a w on either side of the n and the o, I still had no fear, but it meant to no fear mm-hmm. and this was had been my pursuit for decades was like doing all these drills to get a deeper insight and understanding in in like why, like for example, we would do these seminars in the eighties, these force on force. Like, like street seminars, street altercations, where I gave people characters. It was very, very progressive for the time, way before reality-based self-defense and way before, you know, uh, you know all the suits and all the equipment and, and, and more organized scenario training, where I said, well, let's we're not just going to spar. I said, I want you to be a drunk. I want you to be a loan shark. I want you to be a bad guy. I want you to be an irate boyfriend. You know, we gave scenarios, and we would always start off with dialogue because how everyone trained was like, let's practice self-defense. And then you get in the ring and spar. And I had been in some altercations in my teens that that erupted so quickly that there was, by the time the chaos kind of uh, 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 dissipated and, uh, you know, you're speeding away in your car or running away or whatever, and the fight was over, you realize all of your boxing and all of your martial arts, all your wrestling, like like it wasn't there. I was like what the fuck just happened? It was just like this, like this, like explosive moment, and there was pounding hearts and, and tunnel vision and auditory exclusion and and you know you just like you know I love when I love when when people say yeah so I've been in like three hundred fights and I remember every single move and I'm like dude like what are you drinking right like because that anybody who's ever been in 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 real shit like that that just explodes goes. You know, it's just all a blur. You remember one or two things or whatever. But that's not the point here, is in the 80s when I was doing all these scenarios, one of, one of the things I would do is it, it started to get this cool reputation. And then every month we do this, like, we used to call them the panic attack. And that was the first video series title that Panther Productions, they were the world's biggest video production company of, like, all martial artists all over the world. Um, they did a five-volume series on my system called The Panic Attack, and I named it that way because we'd have all of these, like, street fighters and martial artists and, and pro fighters and, you know, that would come to do this thing. And, and in the early days, we would say, if somebody came up to you and got in your face and shoved you and threw, like, that John Wayne sucker punch, what would you do? Write it down on this index card. And so I call this the unconscious bias. If you were a Taekwondo guy... You'd say, oh, well, when I see it coming, I would step back. I'd, you know, jam him with a front kick and then a ground kick him in the head. People he would write down the shit. The boxer would go, oh, I'd bob him and leave that, hit him with a uh, gut shot. Like, and, and, uh, so I call it the unconscious bias because what you, what you, it's not malicious. It's just what your, your brain has been trained to do. So in neuroscience, they say the, you know, the, uh, the neurons that fire together wire together. And as a whole thing, I'm not going to get into you know, myelinization and how the, the neurotransmitter works and all this stuff. But, but if you do something, there's no such thing as muscle memory. But what people think is muscle memory is actually your brain is trying to predict the future. And so it's got these patterns that are grooved. And like if I walked up to you right now and I gestured to shake your hand, mm-hmm. your hand, like a Pavlovian response, would come out to go shake my hand. And if I pull my hand away, I go, got you, right? And I tricked you. Um, you can't stop that from happening. That's, and so that's like, like, like a neuron pattern of like, you see something, it triggers, it's a stimulus response type mechanism, but it's not muscle memory. I just, I'm I'm a real stickler for when people go, yeah, muscle memory. I go, muscles don't have memory. They'll say that.
1: I never knew that. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so what happens is if, 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 all of your training is like, okay, I'm going to take this guy to the ground and mount him ground and ground him, pound him. Then, you know, that's what you're looking for. You're looking to come under a punch and double leg the guy. And, and you, what you're doing is your uh, um, your brain is wired. I'll give you a great example. I had in one of our military courses, we were doing the scenario with our high gear suit where you come in, the role player presents himself, you muzzle strike him in the chest because you want to capture him. The role player feigns this response and then he smacks your long gun away and and charges you to tackle you. At that point you're gonna uh uh um uh drop the long gun, smash your what we call a half spear, it's it's part of the startle flinch conversion, and immediately jam this guy from coming in and transition your pistol. And it's a very fast fast movement and you and you you train it because your long gun is now for all intents and purposes, you know, out, out of play, right? The guy's passed it. It's 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 now you swept it away, right? And you're getting you getting you getting attacked. So what you need to do is stay on your feet and fucking transition. Well, one of the guys in the class was a world class high level jiu-jitsu guy, and on his first rep, when the guy went to tackle him, he did a guillotine, cranked on the guy's neck. The guy like slowed down because there's like this forearm coming across his trachea and as as Adam Apple, Adam's Apple. And then the guy, like, pulled him up. He felt the role player, like, loosen up for a second. And then he slipped out, got the forearm in, as he was supposed to, and then transitioned to his pistol. So he added this extra jiu-jitsu move, which was cool and it was fast. But in, in a gunfight, you don't want to do that, right? And, and like, there's no need to do that. And so right. I walk over to him. I say, hey, man, like, like I, like I know you're amazing in jiu-jitsu, but, like, here, don't do this. We're doing, like, CQB scenario. He goes, yeah, yeah I got it. Well, he does it again. And I'm watching him from the side, and I turn to one of my guys. And then they do the next rep, and he does it again. And I walk over again. I go, hey, like, you're still doing that. Like, I know you can get it in there, but you're actually adding some time to the movement. And he's, like, looking at me like, like I was talking Latin or Chinese or something, and he didn't understand. And what I realized, I had just been in the middle of reading the book, The Talent Code, which is a great kind of, like, like layperson's explanation for the neuroscience of of, of skill and mastery. And I encourage everyone to read the Talent Code, and um, and in it, he, he, you know, there's a this this chapter explaining how this neuron myelinization relationship happens, and what I realized is, this guy, who had done, you know, the ten thousand hour ten thousand rep metaphor that mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell yeah. made famous, right? He had done twenty thousand reps of when he sees a head, dip down to go tackle. That he's thinking sprawl, guillotine, pull guard, right? And he'd done 10,000 reps of that, but he'd only done like two reps of what I wanted him to do. And his, not his muscle memory, but his, the way his brain had wired a stimulus to response, he had no idea that he was doing it and couldn't control it at the speed we were doing the scenario at, right? So for but a moment, I was, I was a bad, yeah, exactly. And so it was Pavlovian for him at that level. And I didn't realize it. And this is fascinating for anyone listening to this call who's a trainer, who's a coach, to understand that sometimes you, you like, like I was getting frustrated because I was going, I see fucking doing the jiu-jitsu here. I love grappling. I love jiu-jitsu. You know, I grapple when I can. I, I understand how what a badass system it is. But you shouldn't be doing it right now in this scenario. You should be able to control what you do. And that's why I call it the unconscious bias we have a, an expression, a maxim that's that's misunderstood a lot, um, and it goes: "Careful, what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing." And what I mean by that is, people hear that as an insult, right? Because because of cog, uh, 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 confirmation bias, and like they get defiant. They go, "Is he saying my jujitsu is no good? Is he saying my krav maga is no good?" Or my right? And I'm going, "No, I'm just saying like like." you get into a road rage situation with somebody and you take the guy down, not realizing he's got three friends in his car that jump out after you tackle this guy, that'll be a problem on the side of the road. Right? Oh, definitely. So so I tell people carefully practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing, that when it comes to personal defense, protecting yourself, protecting your family, or if you're a professional on a mission, you know, you, you need to reverse engineer the skills and drills and the tactics you're going to practice based on what you think is going to happen, you know, in that fight. And you shouldn't try to adapt your combat sport or your martial art there. That's the unconscious bias. And this is where now we come back to, if everyone's still listening on the call, I was talking about in the 80s, I would, I'd would give everybody an index card. And I, would, I didn't use this terminology back then, like, you know, uh, this, this was a social experiment. That term didn't exist, but I didn't know that. And the unconscious bias, you know, something that I started, you know, explaining about a year ago. But this is in the 80s, where I'd say, tell me what you're going to do, and then we're going to set up a role player, and he's going to feed you that. But nobody had practiced verbal assault, like somebody in your face, hey, motherfucker. And I was there going, hey, remember This is on CCTV, so if you just punch the guy right away, that's assault. You need to try and defuse it. We were very ethical and legal and moral in our approach. We would still do the scenarios, but I'd say, guys, we all know that we can get in the ring and box the spar and kickbox and grapple. Now I'm going to put you in a scenario. We're going to put on this equipment, and we're going to go face-to-face, and we're going to pretend we're at a bus stop. We're going to pretend we're in a bar, and we're going to challenge our brain and we're going to have a, a a role player attack you when he feels it appropriate based on his character in your scenario. So, for example, like one of the ones when when, when I was a defender, guy comes up to me. I, then I don't know the scenario in advance. This is how cool this was, right? I know all the scenarios they can pick from, but the guy comes up to me. So there's a moment there where just your performance anxiety creates an organic fear spike, right? So I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. He walks up to me, my heart's pounding, he's getting a little too close, you know, I blade my body, my hands come up a little bit, I go, hey man, what's up? And he says to me, hey man, you know what's up, and I have no idea what the scenario is, right? So I'm like, <laughs> like, no, like no, I no, actually like don't, do I know you? Hey, don't pretend you don't know me, the boss wants his money, right? And so right there I realized, and this was the thing, we said no matter what your role player said to you, you couldn't say, oh, I don't want to do that scenario, like you had to just go with it. So, yeah. you know, so when he, when he said the boss wants his money, I realized, oh, I was a gambler who borrowed some money and I hadn't paid back the boss yet and this was his muscle. Oh, shit, right? So what am I going to do? Like do a jump back in the guy's face because then they're going to kill me, right? Like I had to, like I was telling people, we find ourselves in life in these scenarios and we need to figure out what the fuck to do. And, and not everything's a nail and you're not a fucking hammer all the time. And it was a right. real wake-up call for all these, like, macho guys who signed up for this force on Force seminar, who said, yeah, I'm going to come in there and show this. So what would happen is, like, in this case here, I said, look, like, you know, I start talking, and the guy goes, I said to the guy, man, like, I just need another couple of days. Like I would tell people, try to verbally de-escalate it. And then when the attack happens, do your shit, right? And everyone's in gear. We would make shift gear. I didn't have my high gear suits back then. And, uh, um, and so like in this case here, I go, man, like, you know, you know, tell the boss I'm good for the money, man, just talk to him. He goes, No, man, like like you're already late, man. I gotta I gotta hit you somewhere. And he kind of does like a line from the last Boy Scout this before the movie. He says, You want him the gut or you want him in the face And I'm like I'm like, No man and like he sucker punches me while I'm trying to talk and fucking you know, nails me with a shot and then the fight's up. Right, so they would erupt like that and so you aren't at sparring distance where you're dancing on your toes, circling each other. And everybody, including myself, got fucking hit, right? When, when the shit would happen. And I would realize two things. And that's why we called it the panic attack. That wasn't the original name. Because people would panic. I, like, I would have to jump in on other fights and break people apart because people would lose their shit, right? They would get really emotional. And and I'd go, okay, stop, stop, man. is we're training, right? We're exploring violence, right? So so we don't do this in the street. So we we... We can do a rep. We've got a mental movement. It was a very fascinating time. That was, I did that for like 10 years in the 80s. And that's, and that taught me so much about, it taught me so much Paige about two things. One, about the importance of fear. Cause when everyone got scared, their training went out the window oh. a lot of times. Their breathing changed, their stiffness changed, their, uh, how, uh, their finesse of their movement changed. And then, and then the other thing we realized is that, um, the unconscious bias made you less safe because you weren't spontaneous because what you were looking for was an opportunity to do the move that you unconsciously wanted to do, whether it was a leg kick, a takedown, an elbow. Like, everyone has their favorite move. But if you're if you're looking for your favorite move, then you're not really situationally aware, right? You're waiting for a moment to do that one, that one thing. Right, was which was may,
1: going. depending on the situation, which... That move may or may not be the best thing to use.
0: Right. Let's say, let's say, let's say your favorite move is a headbutt, and you're so focused on your headbutt that you don't notice that the guy you're having an argument uh, with just got off a motorcycle and he's got a full face helmet on. You know, exactly. like and I and I, and, and I say that, and then you know some people listening are like, oh, that's a stupid example, but it's, it's, it's a cartoony example just to say, careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing, and your favorite move might trigger that bad guy's best counter. So, you know, you want to, there's a Sun Tzu quote that, uh, uh, from, from the art of war, uh, one of my favorite ones, and he says, um this is obviously paraphrased from a translation, he says, the highest form of strategy is not to attack, uh, your enemy's castle, their munitions, their, and he lists a bunch of things, you know, a couple of things like their, their fortress, or this, whatever. And then he goes, the highest level of strategy is to attack your opponent's strategy. And you know, what he's saying is like if you understand what their plan is, you can intercept it. And this is like truly when in the military when guys say get the left of bang, get the left of the ambush you know, like guys say that but then like there's there's not like a like a like a detailed system of well how do you do that at extreme close quarter? I get that like like on battle through maneuver, right? Oh look at that, that's weird. Like, hey man. You know, there's no villages here. Everyone's inside. This road just got really quiet. That's, let's stop here. Let's pause. Let's, you know, way before, you know, we get to, we get to this what was supposed to be the kill zone. But when you're like in a bar in an argument or road rage. And so what I figured out was this way to do that at extreme close quarters by, uh, uh, doing some really intuitive for the eighties, very intuitive. Behaviorally based drills where we would where we would slow down specific attacks while replicating the bullshit of the street, so that your brain kind of cataloged every pre-contact cue, auditory cues, uh, breathing changes. Like if someone goes to throw a punch, did they did you notice the pec flex? Did you see the hand? The elbow came up. Did you see how he grit his teeth? And so, literally years later, students of mine. Who, who, you know, were in law enforcement, military, and we're getting into real altercations, we're intercepting these attacks, and they would write me going, "Holy shit! Like this shit actually works because mm-hmm. we we had imbued their brain with all of the pre-contact cues before having to block or do a guillotine or or throw an uppercut. It was all of the literally all of the pre-contact cues." And it was a whole,
1: which also, which also ties into everything else we've been talking about in regards to not already knowing what move you're going to use to be spontaneous with it, which then right. or not necessarily spontaneous, but to actually be in the moment with it, so that you can then read those cues and make a decision accordingly
0: right and And that's the other thing is a lot of times we train and we train. Mm-hmm. And then there's a part of us, we don't and even if we don't understand the neuroscience behind it, that is like, okay, we're going to fight. As opposed to, yeah, we live in a litigious world and people are fucking crazy. What is the safest thing I could do here? Is it having the courage to avoid and de-escalate? Is it, is it not doing anything? Is it moving hard and fast? That's a threat. A lot of people are very cavalier about, yeah, if he did that to me, oh, I would just shoot him or I would just kick him or I would just... and. It's just not the way the world works. So I'm very kind of proud of, of, the, of the path that the system has evolved on, and it's truly uh, morally and ethically and legally uh, sound. So I can, I can look at any scenario, and it's Socratic. Like when we're teaching people from any community, it's like, well, okay, well, what's the scenario? And what is the safest thing you can do? Sometimes the safest thing you can do is to kill the bad guy. And sometimes mm-hmm. the safest thing you can do is to play dead. You need to have the fucking, you know, uh, uh, what I call the three eyes: the instinct, the intuition, and the intelligence to select the optimal option.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, all of that has taken, obviously, lots of time to develop. I mean, as, as you said initially, you've been doing this for over four decades now. So going That's back crazy. to... Right, um, so going back... I I, I don't even,
0: I didn't even, I I gotta, gotta, yeah, I sorry for interrupting, but I gotta tell you this, I was was out in Australia, and I was in an Uber, and this guy starts talking to me, yeah, what do you do, what are you ever doing, a small talking, and I go, I, you know, I teach, uh, um, uh, you know, self-defense combatives. and he goes, oh, how long have you been doing that? And I don't think of myself as, like, 58, and having started when I was 17, teaching, and so I said, you know, uh, uh, how long have you been doing that? And I said, like, I don't know, like, you know, 20, 30 years or so. He goes, wow, that's amazing. I go, yeah, I started in 1977. <laughs> and then he goes, dude, that's like 41 years at the time. It was like two years ago. He goes, and he says to me, and it was like an Uber driver, really cool guy, says, most people don't do the same job for 40 years. He says, that is so special. I would never thought about it in that way. You know, and it was so. When you just said like four decades, I, like when I when I interrupted you and said, "Isn't that crazy?" Because I I'm still reminding myself to pinch myself and to find that you know, like just to reflect on that more. Because the my my personal off tempo is insane. You know, uh, you know what I'm doing. I I don't, and I don't stop and. All the roses or the coffee or whatever the expression is. But sorry, I interrupted you. I had to tell you. you were no,
1: no, you're, you're totally fine. I mean, and that's, it really is a big deal because, I mean, one, we live in a world now where just having one career is really not so much of a common thing anymore. And two, to have your career be for over 40 years something that you're passionate about, something that, I mean, this is an entrepreneur. Ooh. English is difficult again. <laughs> Entrepreneur, uh, yeah, yeah. It's an entrepreneurial venture that you've been doing for this long and you've been this successful at. I mean, that's that's a really big deal. But you um, know what? You know what? I mean, so know what? I, 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 I
0: could I could have I could have figured out how to make the best Tupperware. I'm not putting down whoever invested Tupperware, and that would have been a big exactly. deal too because it keeps because it, yeah because it keeps food fresh and 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 we eat food right so so you know. Making the best puppetware would be cool, but the coolest thing that I do is that I help good people stay alive. And I fucking, I when I work with cops, when I work with military, when I work with, you know, uh, uh, like I've, you know, I got invited to teach, teach at a women's shelter, which is really rare for a guy because we represent, the, the, you know, the predominant threat, right? To, to get invited mm-hmm. in at that level, to teach kids, to teach, like, it blows my mind, um, the, like, the, on, a, on a daily basis, I get emails from around the world, messages on all the social media of uh, some of the impact. And I, have, like, now, I don't do most of the training. It's like, you know, I've got a team of almost 20 on our, our, our MCT, our, our mobile training team, I've got uh, almost 200 affiliates who teach, like in the in the, uh, the citizens civilian sector, and then we've got hundreds and hundreds of of um, trainers. Our our main course is, is training trainers for their defensive tactics or, com- or combatants uh, uh, units in law enforcement or military units. So, so everything you said is super cool, but I want I needed to inject here a like because it's how I feel and also what I feel is, is your audience is is we're not doing Tuckerware, we're actually getting inside people's heads and trying to make them safer as badass as they already are, we're like, do you know this about the neural circuitry of fear? Do you know this about converting your startup flinch and how do you weaponize the startup flinch? Do you know these primal gross motor movements that work whether you're you know, wearing a speedo or in full kit, if these like little nuances that that are making a difference and and that's that's the coolest thing about what i do is people are actually using it
1: oh absolutely your tupperware has absolutely made a difference um (laughs) in my life as well um but but, i mean what you're talking about is is a big deal it makes a really really big difference in just everyday life but also in life-threatening situations so it's it's vitally important, really.
0: Yeah. So I had to uh, um, share that.
1: No, I'm I'm glad you did. But going going back now to you. Let's see. Okay, so I think where where we left off
0: uh, uh-huh. story wise
1: I, um, I,
0: I, I, I hijacked I hijacked the conversation about 19 times. and told like I'm legendary for my my tangent. <laughs> I get, I yeah, get like all fired. Good I get high 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 a little I'm excited. Yeah. 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 The good guy.
1: Exactly. um But, okay. So you were loving, okay. It was Taekwondo that you started with, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you were loving that, doing it every waking moment. And then, where, like, where did you go next? What happened next? Because at this point, I think so, you're, what, 14?
0: Yeah, so it started when I was like 13, you know, 97 through Bruce Lee died. I started Taekwondo right around then. Um, two years later, I got into a fight in school where, uh, teacher wasn't there. Kid got in my face. He thought I'd, I'd pushed him and he was kind of like, like the nerd that, that got into a lot of trouble at, at school. And, uh, he thought I had shoved him. So he got in my face and I loved, loved, loved my martial arts so much. And our instructor, Alex, said, hey, you only use your martial arts for self-defense, and if I catch any of you abusing this and using it uh, to bully people or just fighting in the street, I'm kicking you out of the school. And so I knew this wasn't like real self-defense, and I hadn't done anything. And we were in school, and the, uh, uh, the teacher stepped out of the classroom to go get some shit, and the kids were all doing the usual kid shit, you know, fight, fight, fight. And he's in my face. And he's egging, they're egging him on. And I said to him, his name's Lance. And I go, Lance, dude. And I'm up in like, I'm 15. So my taekwondo stance is, is supposed to be like, like side stance, ready side kick, around kick, bouncing up and down. I'm not in that stance. I'm in mean, what we call now a nonviolent posture. I'm standing slightly bladed. My hands are up and just splayed. My arms are outside 90. But all of these cues that mean nothing to maybe people who haven't trained with us. I didn't know that at 15, like this became that reverse engineering years later when I was trying to put together a practical, tactical self-defense program. And uh, up until then, I do what everyone else does is the unconscious bias leads the way. When I first started teaching, jump ahead like two years, when somebody said, hey, let's work out, you know, will you teach me? What I was teaching them was how to box, how to kick and how to grapple. So this was like, like like a shitty version of today's MMA. And why? Because I had studied boxing, I would studied kicking, and I would studied grappling. So when we'd get together, we didn't do scenarios. We didn't talk about fear and psychology. We just would warm up, put on gloves and a mouth guard like everyone else, and then kick a shit at each other. And so that's the unconscious bias, just like you don't don't know what you don't know. And um, so here I am at 15 years old, and I hear Alice's voice in my head, you know, if I hear of you, you know, fighting outside the school, abusing your martial arts, you're 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 done. And I loved, loved, loved going to train. And I knew that this wasn't a credible threat. I wasn't really in any danger. And but this kid Lance just wanted to fight. He had been pushed to this edge. Uh he had been he had been knocked down in class, pushed over somebody, and when he got up Like a bunch of us, because we were 15, all of us were laughing because of how he fell. He fell into the uh, teacher's, uh, uh, supply closet and a bunch of like papers fell on him. It was funny for 15, right? But I was the closest person. I was the closest person. He thought I, he thought I was the guy that tripped him up. So he comes charging at me. My hands come up like to push away danger, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's the whole startle flinch there. It's just instinctive and natural. And and I try to stop him, and he's going. What well, do you think that's funny? You think you're smart? As I go, Lance, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Who was it? I'm like I don't know who it was, man. I just saw you fall, and then everyone started laughing, and I I started laughing. It was contagious. But he's getting more angry when he shoves me, and I I kind of you know slightly bounce off the back wall, and I realize my back is to a wall, and if I had to do something because he's starting to go physical. I started thinking, fuck, he's too close to kick. And this is all I heard for about five, ten seconds while he was going, "Come on, you fucking coward! Let's fight!" You, you know, you know, was on one side of my head was Alex saying, "Catch you fighting in the street, you're at school," and the other side of my head was, "He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick." Now, if people are tracking everything I'm talking about the unconscious bias. Why would I be saying he's too close to kick? Why wouldn't I punch him? Because punching isn't a big thing back in the seventies in Taekwondo. You would use a back fist to set up a sidekick. But I was standing flat footed, not in my side stance, and I didn't have any room. So my unconscious bias was compromising my confidence. You tracking all this? I'm like, oh shit, he's like, what am I gonna do? And at that moment, I see his breathing change, his body language changes, and body language is 60% of communication. Right. And I see his, his, his knuckles ball up, and he's like, come on, you fucking coward. And I'm going. And I'm going. Lance, calm down. Like I'm trying to really plead with him. And he says, "You fucking pussy. I'll let you have the first punch." And on the letter "u" in the word "punch," I threw one of the world's shittiest jabs. Because um, my hands were up, I didn't know how to like punch properly. And I hit him with a shitty jab. It rocks his head back. But as soon as I touched him, he fired the right. So he was getting ready to sucker punch it. So it was like this bang, right, like that. And and as my hand was coming back in a shitty punch and my hands were up, um, I flinched like anyone would, like you think of somebody going through a car windshield or you're you're pulling the, like oh, yeah. something off of a shelf a shelf and a box falls down, your hands come up to cover your head, right? You don't think about it, you don't go, Oh, I'll well, get in the karate kids Dance. No, your hands just flinch and cover the head. And so your startle flinch response, which is part of our DNA, is designed the, the actual medical scientific neuro uh uh, uh neuroscientific Terminology there is to disengage your noxious stimuli, the cross extensor chain, blah blah blah, and so it's this idea like it bypasses cognition, and it's just part of your 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 reactive brain going, dude, your awareness is compromised here. We're going to step in and take care of this. So I fire this punch. His punch comes flying back right away. My hands flinch. His right bounces off my left forearm, and he falls into me. And now suddenly we're in a shitty clinch position. Now my wrestling kicks in. I grab his head and I fucking hit throw him. He lands off the ground. I never let go of his hair. I grab him by the, I'm still holding him by the hair and I fling him into two desks. back hits the desk and, and wins him. And at that point I'm kind of like in that Elvis Presley low stance pointing down. And I look at him and I go, don't fucking get up man. I'll fucking kill you if you get up. And obviously I didn't mean I was going to kill him, but that's what the thing. No, of course. But but it was at that moment that I realized that I had just had a street fight with a kid in school where none of my martial arts training helped me, and I didn't know what was happening, and I was fucking, my heart was pounding, and I didn't know what went on. And the only moment, the only time that I was actually in the martial arts dance was when the fight was over, and I was looking down on the floor again. And it was like, went through my brain so lightning fast. You know, uh, uh teacher came back in the room, what's going on here? Everyone got separated. Um... I went home, I was about 15, 15 and a half at the time, and this is really interesting for anybody listening to this call that's into combat as martial arts or training. This is what I mean by the toolbox versus, like, so, you know, who knows more about what has to happen? A handyman, a carpenter, or an architect, right? And clearly the architect, right? He can blueprint. He probably knows how to use a hammer and a saw, too, because he decided at a young age, I want to build shit. Right, I want to understand right. structure and structural integrity and design. What I do when I teach people is I teach them how to be an architect. They understand the blueprint, the blueprint of violence. Where the carpenter knows how to be like a, like a handyman is just going to fix some shit up, and the carpenter knows a lot more. But I just I'm urging people for their own safety like carefully practice. You might get really get the wrong thing because you might turn sure, out to be just a carpenter that's got a you know, a few tools knows a little bit or even worse, maybe just a handyman that's got one or two moves and, and, you know, everything's fixed with duct tape. So the, what I did here, and this is my big epiphany, my light bulb moment is I said to myself lying there because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I'm lying there in bed thinking about the fight over and over, and over again. And I'm thinking if I only knew how to punch, that wouldn't have happened. Like I blamed it on the fact that I didn't have a striking arsenal. Right? Which is partly true, but it doesn't explain what I just ranted about, about the blueprint of violence. How do you verbally de-escalate shit? How do you, how do you, um, uh, uh, talk somebody down? How do you understand this choose safety metaphor and, and, and learn to psychologically, behaviorally diffuse things? Uh, what are, what is, what does it mean to you understand closer to us or closer to target? In other words, that's that, uh, um, what I said earlier is, is, uh, to, to look at the body language of your opponent. Remember when I gave the Sun Tzu quote? And I said, were the height of strategy to attack your opponent's strategy. And that's to be able to look at your opponent while you're defusing him and see him just as a grid and going, what's the best place that if I have to hit this guy, where should I hit him now? Right? Because I shouldn't, I shouldn't do the thing he's most prepared for in the ultimate world. And that's, you know, going back to the Sun Tzu thing. Anyway, so what I did is I signed up for some boxing classes. I started studying boxing. I became a boxing fanatic. Uh, uh, that became part of my 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 daily ritual. Uh, made some friends with at a, at a at a gym. Boxed with some very famous uh, pros and 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 trained and trained and trained. And then how the whole thing kicked off is I was working at my dad's office. It was 1979ish, I guess. I used to say 77, but it was somewhere between 78 and 79, <laughs> and I was um, in the back. This is years before Rocky came out, and we used to – my dad was in the import-export business, and we would get these big shipments from China, and these boxes were like 75 pounds each when they were empty, super thick because they had to, like, enjoy the the the, the, the boat coming over, and they'd get, you know, bumped around or shit like that, so they were super – Thick. So I used to punch them like Stallone would punch, uh, side the beef and Rocky, right? Yeah. So you could like hook punch them and kick them, and they were these big, big. They're sitting on the floor, um, and if you really nailed it, like a couple of knuckles would pop through, and you know that would be your feedback. Like, ah, oh, I nailed that one. And one day I'm out in the back, an empty box, I'm beating the shit out of it, sparring. I didn't have a heavy bag, and uh, and I turn around and one of my dad's good friends who's also his biggest client is standing there watching me. His name's Joey, and he says to me, um, hey, you're getting really good at this stuff. And I said, oh, thanks, Joey. And he knew, like, I'd, I'd known his family for years, and they knew I trained. He says, hey, Mitchy, his 15-year-old son, he said, is having bully problems at school. I want you to train him. Could you do that for me? I said, yeah, of course. He said, how much do you charge? Do you teach? I said, no. I'd, I'd been working with one other guy, but I didn't really charge him. I go, no, you're a friend of the family. I'm not going to charge you. He says, no, no, I'm going to pay you. I want you to take this seriously. I don't want you to be late. I want you to plan the lesson. This is my son. I said, oh, okay, cool. you know, I'm making, I'm That's making a good I'm making, move
1: on his part.
0: Right? So, so get yeah. this. This is, this is when me becoming a, my entrepreneur. Um, I'm making like $4.25 an hour as a shipper. My dad's back. And, uh, and, uh, I'm thinking, okay, how much should I charge the guy? I go, he goes, how much do you charge? I go, I go, dude, I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't even want to charge you. I can I'm very uncomfortable with this. He says, how's 20? So I immediately do four bucks for 20. That's five lessons. You know, he says 20 uh-huh. and, and, and I go, uh, um, so I'm thinking that must be five lessons, right? Because I'm getting right. four bucks an hour. Who's going to give it 20 bucks? So I do that math in my head really fast, like okay, five lessons, and then they, and he goes, so I'll pay you 20 bucks a class. Every week I'll give you $20 for a one-hour class. In my mind, I was like 17 or 18, in my mind I'm like, holy fuck, I'm rich. Oh, my God. What kind of <laughs> car am I going to get? Like I haven't even done one class, and I'm already like – so what happens is I start teaching Mitch, and then Mitchell's brother says, hey, how come Mitchell wants, has classes? Well, because it was a bully situation and this, and, 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 and Joey was a very successful businessman, he said, Hey, Stevie wants lessons. Well, they lived in, in a kind of a, a wealthy part of Montreal, which is where I used to live. And, um, we're working out. There's no gym. Like we're working out like in the garage in the front of the house. So now like, like Derek from across the street sees it. And many of them see like 20 bucks from their dad. Hey, mom, dad, can I have 20 bucks for a self-defense lesson? Literally within a month, I had 30 students. So I went from making, I was still looking for my dad doing four bucks an hour sweeping and shipping to uh, making like 600 bucks a week teaching self-defense. I would work, uh, my dad lived in the country. I'd get up at like, you know, six in the morning, drive 45 minutes uh, to the office. I'd work till like five o'clock. Then I'd drive in rush hour traffic and I would teach like, six, seven, eight o'clock, seven days a week for years. Um, In 1985, I opened my first gym. But what happened was, which which put me on the path to scenario-based training, was um, three months after I started training Mitchell, uh, remember he had a bully issue, three months after I started, the fight happened. And up until then, you know, Mitch would come in as a 15-year-old, angry. Yeah, this kid's driving me crazy. i go, Mitch, the school's not doing anything. I'm training you. I don't, I'm not going to influence you into anything rea- uh, retroactive or reactive. What's done is done. He hasn't put his hand on you. Right now, it's just verbal abuse. I know it sucks. But, like, your dad's paying me, like, just in case this kid does something physical. Right? But, right? Then so he's like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So one day I come to the class, and, and what am I teaching Mitchell? I'm teaching him how to kick, I'm teaching him how to box, I'm teaching him how to slip, I'm teaching him to grapple, we're sparring. But all of my, this was, remember this is what we don't know, what we don't know. My idea of self-defense was getting really good at martial arts movement, technique. And what martial art movement and technique doesn't teach you is about situational awareness, about self-awareness, and I'll say something here for you and your listeners. Your situational awareness is intrinsically connected to your self-awareness. If you don't realize that you're an asshole, that you're always looking for trouble, that you're angry or that you're prejudiced or whatever, your lack of self-awareness puts you into situations or clouds or colors what's actually going on because it goes through your filter. And so a big thing that we teach in our whole, with the whole understanding fear approach in the No Fear Seminar is about cultivating better self-awareness because that'll change your life. And so... Um so here I am I come back it's 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 so it's so potent. It's everything. Um so I come I come back to uh uh I show up for one of the classes and remember up until now what I'm doing is I'm not I'm not malicious. And so a lot of times like when when I tell people uh you know, yeah, but that's good, but that's just physical stuff. You're not doing this and I'm you know, I'm I'm saying it in a way that comes across a little bit more curt right now, just because we're talking quickly on a podcast. I'm much more mindful when I'm actually talking to somebody, but you know, like, like I'll talk to like a school owner and I'll go like, what do you really do to teach your students to manage fear? And like guys don't get defensive and they're like, well, you know, when they test for the next level, it's in front of all the advanced belts. And I'm like, that's not fear management, man. I'm in the street, life and death, like pride, mm-hmm. ego. 15 year old, it's completely different, right? And um, uh, it, it's 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 a fascinating thing. So what I'm I'm putting myself in that same boat too. Like for for years, I did what everyone else did because I was taught what they were taught, and by my instructor said, here's how you kick. My instructor said, here's how you punch, right? And so when it came time for me to pass on my knowledge, I was teaching what I was, thought I was good at and what I believed in, and it was just the physical. And so Mitchell was getting pretty good, you know, for 15 years old, and he had, he had a motivation. He wasn't just doing it recreationally. He, he was, thought there was going to be a fight one day, right? And there was. And so I come back. I come over for his lesson, and he's sitting there fuming. You can see how pissed off he is. And I'm like, dude, what happened? And he leaps from his chair and he goes, "Fuck! I got my ass kicked today and fucking this guy." And I go, "Calm down, man. Tell me what happened. I don't, I don't understand. You know, you're screaming. What happened?" He says, "I was late for class, and I'm running by the back. And there's that asshole. He's at the back with his buddies there, and he sees me. And I don't see him. And as I'm running, he sticks his leg out and trips me. And in front of like 50 kids, I go flying on my fucking face. My books go, and everyone's laughing at me." And I'm so angry, and I'm picking up my books, and as I'm picking my books, I say, what a fucking asshole. And he comes up to me, he goes, what did you call me? He says, I got so angry at this point, I looked at him, I said, I don't even fucking know, like, who you are, why you've been bugging me since school started. And he shoves me, he says, "I shoves me, and says, what are you going to do about it? And when he touched me, I got so angry, I grabbed him and I slammed him against the locker bank and I screamed in his face, don't ever fucking touch me again. And then he stops talking. And I look at Mitch and I go, and? He goes, he dropped me. What do you mean he dropped you? Like, like it went, like, this is getting fun. You know, this is cool. Okay, you're Mm -hmm. in the fight. What do you mean he dropped you? And he goes, he looks at me, he looks down, he looks up and he starts to visualize the fight. And he goes, he says, well, I was holding his shirt with my left hand. And I had my school books in my right arm. And in that moment when he said that, visualize that. Imagine if you had to box somebody and one hand had to hold a shirt and the other hand had to hold a a backpack or briefcase Mm -hmm. or school books. How soon until you get punched in the face?
1: Right away. Real quick.
0: Right, Right? Because you don't have any blocking or striking tools available because they're being used. Now, Jump ahead eight years when I'm doing all my research on startle flinch conversion, uh, w- when, when your body flinches, it contracts at a, at a violent speed, and anything you're holding, you actually clamp down on. So that means, um, without even knowing this, when that guy went to fire that left hook, if, as Mitchell realized that he was about to get hit, his body would have flinched, but it wouldn't, it did, it can't. It's called the cross extension reflex. It locks down on what you're holding onto or touching. So if his hands are free, they might have come up and protected his head, almost like an organic airbag. I, I refer to it as. If your hands are free, your your arms deploy to try and push away danger. They protect your head and push away and push away the danger. And it's a fascinating metaphor and and movement. But if your hands are on something, it could be a long gun. It could be your school books. It could be a cop with a flashlight in his hand looking down at somebody's, you know, driver's license ID, and the punch comes in. You're not going to do wax on, wax off. And it's not Tony saying, oh, you can't do this. This is neuroscience, right? And so – what happened to Mitchell is when it, you know he didn't say, "Oh, I flinched and locked down the cross da da da. he didn't know to say that, and I didn't know to even think of that, but when he described that he was holding a shirt and holding his books, it was like the god of self-defense fired a lightning bolt into my head, and I went, "Holy fuck, we teach self-defense wrong and I say we meaning the world of martial arts we would we were most people around the world that I knew, and I knew a lot of people we would prepare our students and train for self-defense by sparring, by doing drills, by trying to master a kick and a punch and a block and this sequence and this combination. And what I realized in that moment, that real self-defense takes place in a real scenario where you're psychologically and emotionally uh, usually at a disadvantage and distracted. And, um, and it was in that moment that uh, I went, holy shit, and I said, are those your school books there? Uh, he, he said, yeah, they are, uh, those are them. And, uh, I said, go grab them and grab me. And we replicated, we replicated the, the, uh, confrontation for about a, an hour, working different angles, working different things to do. What I in effect did is I did my first scenario and, and in that moment, what I also did by showing him all the options is I, changed his negative relationship to what had happened. In other words, if it had ever happened again, his brain had all these mental blueprints of different options. So it didn't become like a scar on his mind.
1: Now would you would you also talk about your response to what he said? Because I was listening or watching to an interview you did where you talked about this and didn't you like? He started apologizing to you, and then you said, and then you yeah. apologized to him. Would you? I just feel like that's a yeah, really yeah, yeah. important piece.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I, I, um, you know, after we calmed down and everything, he said, "Sorry, I let you down," something to that effect. And I said, "No, man. Like, like I trained you wrong. In my mind, again, not malicious. I had trained him." A spar I hadn't trained him to diffuse and de-escalate a real confrontation and then protect himself and what was interesting is I don't use the you know I use the term social experiment now, but it didn't exist back then. but what I did when I, I had my epiphany and I was like, holy fuck completely changed you know this kid could have been hurt and I really took it to heart. It bugged me and I vowed never to teach that way again and like from that day forward everything we did, you, I know, I, I would say, this is why it was, you know, before Simon Sinek came over to What's Your Why? Or, I don't know if i am pronounced his last name, Simon Sinek or Simon Sinek. You know, he said, What's Your Why? You know, in 1988, he was featured inside Karate Magazine, and uh, the title of the article was A Word to the Whys, but Whys was spelled W-H-Y-S. I'd already been like, this is now eight years after that incident, why I only did scenario-based training. And a lot of people who looked at our... You know, we'd be reading up videos on the internet back then like this, so everything is you had to wait a month for the next issue of the magazine to come out to look at, like, some still pictures. And I would always do things off-balance on purpose, and people would criticize, going, hey, you're off-balance here. I go, no, like in a real fight, you're off-balance emotionally, psychologically, and physically, so we train off-balance on purpose. That way, when we are off-balance in the street, our body and our mind goes, this is how we trained. so we're actually on balance. But to... To try to finesse the don't, don't care the rice paper, you gotta be in a perfect stand, get your hip like this. Like, if you look at dashboard videos and violence, if you Google any violence in the real world, you almost never see anybody on balance. But anyways, no. um, <laughs> uh, off on a tangent. Um, but that, that moment when Mitchell apologized to me, I was like, no, man, you know, like, fuck, I fucked up, you know, like, this is, this is, you know, he didn't understand that he was 15, but in my mind, you know, and I, and, and just to kind of vet the concept, I called a bunch of, uh, martial art buddies who also taught, you know, different styles. And I said to, I said to a few of them, I said, one of my students lost the fight. This is what happened. You know, he grabbed the guy and, and was holding his books and the guy sucker punched him and dropped him. You know, you know, what do you think? And it was, I did it almost as this like intuitive experiment just to see where, where people's heads were at. Because my, yeah. my thought was I prepared him wrong. Most people's answers were biomechanic answers, it was like strategy answers. Well, you shouldn't compromise your hands. Or, you know, why did he grab them? How come he had his books in his hand? And I realized, like I was just using my intuition at this point, Paige. I was like, mm-hmm. like, what a, what a fucking myopic answer. Like you're in school. What do you mean why did he have his books in his hand? Because he was in school. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, when, you know, why were you holding your baby when you were at the park when that happened? Well, because I'm a mom, and I was holding my baby, you fucking idiot, right? I had, this is amazing how 20 years, jumping ahead 20 years later, I get called by uh, the uh, uh, Montreal General Hospital, uh, and they're looking for self-defense training because some of their uh, uh, patients um, who come in for certain sessions are, are being attacked in the streets. And like douchebags prey on people in wheelchairs, people who've got dysfunctions, like. And it's amazing. I got a buddy of mine who was injured in a sporting accident, and he's paralyzed, and he and he and he has a gun on him in his like in his wheelchair. And when I found out, I was like, dude, why? He says every week somebody fucks with me because I'm in a wheelchair. I go, what the fuck is with this planet? Like, it blows my mind. I can't even I can't even wrap my head around it. So, anyways, the hospital calls me. Because I was pretty well known in Montreal, they wanted me to come in and, and kind of pitch my system, explain it, and I'm explaining it to them, and they love it and everything. And then I, they said, well, "Yeah, we're meeting a couple other people, and um, and we'll get back to you next week." I say, "Cool." So I get a call back next week, and the woman says, really innocently, total transparency. She says, "Listen, it's between you and another guy. You know, you're a little bit more expensive, and this guy really made a good point." Um, because he was going to teach us how to use our canes to fight and so we'd have an improvised weapon. And I said, what? He goes, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, like, do you do anything like that? Because we really liked the mindset stuff that you talked about, which he didn't include. And I got really angry. You know why? Because the group that called me in was for the MS Society, right? Multiple sclerosis. I said to her, what do you use a cane for? Isn't it because you've lost neurological control and you're balance and you, you need your cane for balance, and now you're suddenly going to pick it up and wield it like a baseball player and smash somebody yeah. with it? Like, do, you, do you understand like how like, the disconnect, how bullshit that is? Like if you actually yeah. need it because you, you, you don't have your, your mobility and your balance, you can't also use it as a weapon in a fight.
1: No, if you can't walk without yeah, it, how do you to, expect to be even more athletic right. than walking but, without but, it
0: but what was amazing, what was amazing is this is the angle the guy sold, and I don't think he was malicious. I think he saw yeah. that he went i you know i'm am a team I'm master, and I'll teach you how to use that, and then the person listening to it goes, "Yeah, that's true, and like that's what I mean by like the unconscious bias. We don't know what we don't know, and we think things are a good idea um, anyway, I just I look at the shit differently. And and that's why you know that was you know whatever whatever uh, gift or insight that I had when when he lost that fight I took it to heart I was his coach I felt like I failed him but I had this I like like I said the god of self defense fucking hit me with a lightning bolt and went dude everything's gotta be a scenario
1: which okay. is I feel like a huge huge part of why you've been so successful. <laughs> is because you have that mentality instead of getting offended when somebody says this didn't work, you you make an adjustment. You actually look into it. And that's why everything that you do works so well is because it's not, I mean, it almost ties into what we were talking about before. It's not like everything is just like, oh, well, I'm just going to give you an off the cuff answer because I've done this a million times. So I know how it all works. It's like, no, let me, let me actually hear what you're saying and learn from it, which is, a really big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I really look at myself as kind of like a a a guide and a collaborator, and I look at every person as a human weapon system, and I'm just trying to get them to rediscover their human weaponness. Like, hey, you've got this DNA hardwired startle flinch that you can weaponize, and let me help you with a little bit of this the neural circuitry of fear uh, research for years and 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 you know, explore that and it's almost like um this Socratic relationship even in a group class. Like even though you know we we'll do like a like a Tier One military group and you know I'm not in there like I come in there my attitude is like you guys already know how to do everything. So we're gonna just do scenarios where you explore solving problems because if you if you research uh what's called deep practice in neuroscience and flow state and stuff like that, it's it's finding this edge for a high-level uh performer, athlete, uh, you know, military cop, business person, and creating scenario-based problems where there's the risk of failure but the risk of success but it's a fine line. And it, you you need to be a bit of a, you know, you can't be a cook. you got to be a chef, like The chef experiments with shit and goes, hey, this, what do you think, right? Where a cook goes, like, order up, you know, and that's the difference between, like, the uh, uh, um, handyman, carpenter, architect—you know—just seeing, just seeing exactly. really three-dimensionally, holistically.